I asked our guest Davis Maddock to pound the table for someone this offseason. Davis, who you pounded the table for? Well, it feels gross, but it's Clyde <laughs> Edwards Hilaire of the Kansas City Chiefs. I know oh, he man. was disappointing last year. I know he really bummed people out, but they didn't re-sign Damian Williams, so their backfield is Daryl Williams, Darwin Thompson, and whoever they potentially draft in the NFL draft. I don't anticipate that they are going to take someone, but even if they do, Clyde edwards Hilaire right now, early drafts, about a mid-third round ADP. He is kind of that one running back from that running back dead zone who I am super interested in. 51 targets in 13 regular season games for him, and uh, thir- I believe 35 touches inside the 20. He He is getting underrated in these early drafts. I love it. I love it. I'm always down for a little post-hype sleeper. Straight from the take cast man himself. Take advantage of your opponents. Draft Clyde edwards Hilaire onto your fantasy roster. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the most accurate podcast. I am your humble host, Brandon Niles. Co-hosting today is the Hall to My Oats, Chris Allen. Chris, buddy, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm happy to get a chance to sit down and talk with Davis and you guys about uh, some of the rookies coming up since we got the draft here in a couple of weeks, so I'm excited to talk ball. Awesome, awesome. As we mentioned, we're happy to have Davis Maddock on the pod today. You can find Davis on Twitter, at Davis Maddock, and check out his fantastic content on the Swolecast. Sports Grid, davismatic.com. I know him best from the Take Cast. That's T A E K Cast, where he explores the intersection of sports, digital life. Davis, thanks so much for joining us. How you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing great. Very excited to uh, to chat some ball, chat some life. Uh, very, very excited for the show. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Before we get too much into best ball content, because that's where uh, we really want to get into. That's where I know your stuff the most. Uh, I do want to hear a little bit about TakeCast. I want to hear you. I, you've got some book plans coming down the pipeline. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So the TakeCast was a podcast that I started uh, back in, I think, 2017. Uh, and that was back before it was uh, involved with my current job now. It's, it's a subsidiary of SportsGrid Inc. now. Uh, and it's just kind of my show where I have on people that I'm interested in and we talk about sports and Bitcoin and fantasy football and fantasy baseball and whatever is uh, is going on. And then the book is hopefully I, I have about four chapters written right now. It's hopefully kind of a cool distillation of all of the great guests who have came on the show over the years and, you know, shared their knowledge with me and made me uh, a barter, uh, a better and smarter person. So I, I hope that some of that stuff is able to come through with the book. That's awesome. You'll have to keep me posted on when it comes out and share uh, any kind of opportunity for me to buy it because I'd love to read it, man. I've, I've, I'm excited about it. Yeah, well, I, I will definitely keep everyone appraised of, uh, of when it ends up coming out. Awesome. Uh, before we get into our main segment, um, which is best ball talk, uh, Chris, what's in the news? Um, a couple of things. I mean, not too big of a news week right now. I think a lot of folks are settling down before the draft, but we do have two items that we wanted to talk about real quick. I mean, James Conner moving over to Arizona to, in my mind, to back up Chase Edmonds, but we can discuss like what his role is going to be in that particular offense. They've also got Gio Bernard adding to both Leo, uh, I mean, Leonard Fournette, and then also Ronald Jones completely torpedoing his value down in Tampa. I mean, but from a value perspective, I wanted to get your guys's takes on this. I mean, James Conner to Arizona, do we care? Because at this point, I don't care personally regarding James Conner's value, but I think at the very least, it helps stabilizes uh, the value of one Chase Edmonds, who at least at this point was starting to skyrocket into best ball drafts, almost into that area of uh, his average draft position where I wasn't sure whether or not he'd be able to make value, but wanted to get your guys' take on it. Davis, what were you thinking about when uh, James Conner got signed by Arizona? 
So I do really like Chase Edmond, and I probably would have been one of those people buying into the skyrocketing ADP. I definitely think this is a signal that they don't that they don't want to be left without options if Edmonds is not performing well early on in the season. However, I think if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to have the glass half full, what you would say is this makes it less likely they draft Travis Etienne, Kenneth Gainwell, Javante Williams, someone like that in the second round of the NFL draft. So if that is true and the dichotomy was James Conner on uh, a one-year deal or Travis Etienne coming in, as someone who liked Edmonds, you would much rather have James Conner on the roster. I, I can agree with that. So right now, uh, over on uh, FFPC, Chase Edmonds going around the RB27 range. So that's like shortly after Melvin Gordon, Kareem Hunt, right before Raheem Mostert, Leonard Fournette. So somewhere in that range. I mean, Brandon, I mean, what are you thinking regarding Chase Edmonds? Were you buying? Were you just kind of trying to see where uh, that ba- how that backfield is going to shake out, like through the free agency process? Where were you at with Edmonds and or uh, Connor to be uh, or for that matter? So I, I'm not buying Connor. I'm just not confident he can stay healthy after the last couple seasons. I, I know that uh, it's probably too early because he's still young, but running backs do that to you. There's a lot of recency bias based on that. Uh, I tend to fall victim to. Uh, I'm kind of with Davis here. I think that Arizona signing James Connor, I was expecting somebody would split the touches with Chase Edmonds. It doesn't seem like that offense wants to give one running back 20 plus touches a game. Uh, so I'm happy it's James Connor instead of Travis Etienne, like Davis said, or instead of, uh, you know, an early draft pick, because I think that would torpedo his value much more. This way, Connor, Edmonds both getting 10 plus touches sounds very reasonable. Uh, Edmonds getting 15 maybe with the uh, additional work he does in the passing game. So I'm more bullish on Edmonds after the Connor signing and Connor is somebody I might throw a dart at late but it's not somebody I'm really targeting I agree I think that makes the most sense especially given the way that that offense was operating uh, towards the back end of last season with Kyler Murray taking more of the uh, taking a lead in terms of the rushing attempts within the red zone I mean Kenyon Drake was used more often in the red zone I mean I'm not really seeing a ton of scoring potentials for Chase Edmonds anyway so then bringing in James Conner at least at the very in my mind at least gives us a path to taking Chase Edmonds at a reasonable spot within drafts without having to overdraft him at this point so I I'm happy to take uh, take Edmonds. I'd like to see where his ADP falls out. But now for this, I mean, for for Geo and especially for the other two backs that are currently in Tampa Bay, I don't know what to do with these guys. <laughs> I mean, this is now as ambiguous of a situation as possible because everybody was happy for playoff Lenny. I mean, we don't know what we're going to do with Rojo. But now you add in Gio Bernard, how are we supposed to navigate this this type of a backfield? Uh, at this point, I'm happy to take Bernard because he's the cheapest, but do we think that Leonard Fournette is still going to maintain enough of a workload in order to pay off his current draft costs? All right, so, Brandon, I mean, what, what are you thinking about, uh, about the Tampa Bay backfield? I now want Tampa to sign Le'Veon Bell. I want them to trade for <laughs> all the all – the, it signed Just Todd take Gurley. everybody, huh? Put them all in Tampa so I could just avoid the team completely. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense to me. I mean, with uh, with as many as they've now taken on, I mean, I've already heard the comparison of Gio Bernard taking on the role of LaShawn McCoy, which is essentially nothing uh, in Tampa. But it's it's so crowded at this point. I mean, do we see any value like moving forward for any of these guys? I mean, Davis, how are you approaching the the, uh, Tampa Bay backfield? Well, I would really only be interested in Ronald Jones because he has the clearest path to not sharing his role. I think that probably Leonard Fournette and Giovanni Bernard and Keyshawn Vaughn are all fighting 
for the non-Ronald Jones snaps. And I know they hate Ronald Jones, and I know that Ronald Jones fumbles and can't catch and yada yada and so on and so forth. And he always, <laughs> you know, people just people just don't like Ronald Jones. But Ronald Jones has now had two consecutive 1,000-yard seasons, right? People, people forget Ronald Jones had uh, over 1,100 scrimmage yards, eight touchdowns last year, uh, 978 rushing yards, seven rushing touchdowns, and was actually targeted 42 times in 14 active games. He's going to play regardless. He is the best natural runner of all these guys. Leonard Fournette, not a good first, second down runner. I don't know how his uh, large frame convinces coaches that he should be a passing down back, but they use him as a passing down back. And I think Giovanni Bernard, just your classic passing down back. And also, you know, to, to their credit, to Arian's credit, they bring in veteran Giovanni Bernard. If he's no good, they're not going to play him. I mean, how many, I, I literally don't even know. Did LaShawn McCoy even get five touches? Last season, I, I don't I don't even think I don't he think did. So. like, yeah, he just was not involved. So I, I the way I'm playing this is right now, Ronald Jones uh, in FFPC ADP right now, he is going as the 99th overall pick over the last five days. That's RB 33 after guys like Mike Davis, Miles Gaskin, and then Fournette is all the way up at 83 overall RB 29. I, I think the way to play it is just to take Ronald Jones and, you know, the eighth, ninth round. I actually kind of like that play because it seems like everybody is convinced that playoff Lenny is here to stay and it's more of a uh, it's, it's easier to take the guy that they think is going to be the uh, the one to, uh, the first down second down grinder versus trying to uh, I guess the guy that we think is going to be competing for touches because everybody seems to think that Ronald Jones is the one that's going to be competing for touches so I do like that take Davis and so we'll try and see if we can implement something like that moving forward. Um, so with that, uh, I mean, that's that's pretty much the news. Again, slow news week uh, with the draft really coming up. Other than if I don't feel like fighting about Justin Fields and Mac Jones at this point, I'm ready to <laughs> I'm just ready for the draft. Uh, so let's go ahead and hop into the feature segment, Brandon. Sure. Yeah. Every once in a while, I like to do a feature feature segment where we talk about one of uh, the articles that's on the side at 444 right now. Uh, right now, it's kind of a bunch of articles and I'll uh, put a link to his author page on there. But Matthew Gajewski's draft profiles are out there right now. Just did one on Travis Etienne, Devontae Smith, uh, Jamar Chase just dropped yesterday. So uh, check those out. Those are fantastic. Uh, Davis, looking at best balls right now, since this is tis the season with the draft, are you targeting any of the rookies right now or do you prefer to wait until you know where they land? Yeah, uh, Matt does great work, so everyone should uh, should definitely read those pieces. In terms of the ADP right now, the one who looks best is it's got to be Travis Etienne, who right now is going with the last pick of the third round, uh, three twelve. Um, I think there's a solid chance Etienne gets drafted ahead of Paris. You know, I think it's it's close to a coin flip. You know, minus one thirty, plus one forty between him and Najee Harris. I think Etienne will have a more clear receiving role. As a, a, a rookie, which is really what we want for fantasy football in general, but also it's great for best ball because it leads to some of those spiked weeks. Now, Harris will see more total touches. And Harris, too, by the way, at 306, I think is fine. Um, and then in terms of the wide receivers, I think Rashad Bateman, uh, he's going at the 1207 right now. I would imagine his in-season ADP after he's on a team, after we start to get some preseason reports on him, I think he'll start to go where like, Guys like C.D. Lamb uh, and Jalen Rager were going last year, you know, pretty clear top 100 picks. And uh, I, I don't think that's being accounted for in Bateman's ADP right now. 
Yeah, I agree on Bateman. I think wherever he's drafted, he's going to be drafted to be a wide receiver one. So that kind of value, even if he kind of struggles kind of adjusting to a rookie season, I, I agree with you. Uh, Harris also, I'm I'm drafting him before Pittsburgh takes him and he launches into the first round with a Clyde Edwards-Alaire type of hype. Uh, Chris, how about you? Are you targeting any of these rookies or are you waiting till you find out where they go? Uh, with the rookie running backs, I have no issue with trying to take either Etienne Harris. I've seen Javante Williams starting to creep up into that fourth, fourth-ish fourth round ADP over the past like week or so. Now with the hype behind him, uh, with a couple of folks like in the draft community putting him as their RB1. So I'm paying attention to that cost. But rookie running backs, uh, especially over the past couple of seasons, like when it was Jonathan Taylor, when it was CEH, um, if we can at least tell ourselves a story of them having both one, the capital, uh, draft capital, but also two, the situation in order to take over a decent workload, which I think in both those cases with either Harris or ETN, of course, we need to see landing spots. I mean, those are the types, those are the backs that profile as the guys that wind up in the top 12 of running backs, like uh, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of best ball drafting. Um, but wide receivers, it's a little bit different. Um, it was guys like, I mean, Justin Jefferson last year. Uh, I believe it was uh, A.J. Brown, like during his rookie season as well, that wound up in the top 12 for wide receivers. But we need both the situation, but then also the the draft, ca- uh, not the draft capital, rather, but the ADP in order to shake out. Because now, if you look at, uh, if you look at some of those guys, I mean, we're talking... 10th round for uh, for Waddle, 12th round for Bateman. That's about where I would see some of those guys uh, being drafted and them being able to hit. But for guys like Jamar Chase, who's going in the 6th round, uh, Devonta Smith going in the ninth round, opportunity cost is a bit too high for me at that point. I mean, we're still talking about like legitimate vets that are being, yeah. uh, that are being drafted in that area. So I would rather wait, um, especially because, I mean, Justin Jefferson wound up breaking out, but I think his target share was around 18 19%. Uh, towards the end of uh, t- uh, around last season. And I mean, that's about the best case scenario that we can think of. And as of right now, I can't think of a situation where he could walk into where any of these rookies can walk into such a, uh, in such of an opportunity sh- share. So for the rookies, I'd rather wait until the later rounds. Uh, uh, Bateman kind of, uh, he sticks out as one of those guys that could maybe get there, but it's for, for him, it's more about his size. Um, but it really just comes down to draft, uh, not draft capital, but ADP. And so some of those later round guys, I'd be targeting them versus any of the other guys. But with the RBs, yeah, I'll pull the trigger on any of those guys in the third and fourth round. I guess now that we're talking about draft capital, possible landing situations, Davis, who's the rookie that you're really excited about, but also what's their landing spot that you think will be best for fantasy at this point? I mean, since we were talking about ETN Harris, if you like those guys, where do you see them landing that could at least harness like their, the highest potential for fantasy output in their rookie season? Well, whatever running back the Steelers take, they are uh, on the FanDuel Sportsbook and, and the other legal sports books. The Steelers are the team that's favored to take the running back first. So whether that be Harris, whether that be ETN, maybe it's Javante Williams, maybe it's even Gainwell. Uh, whichever running back lands in Pittsburgh, whose running back depth chart now is Kalen Balaj, Anthony McFarland, and Benny Snell. So no one, uh, you know, too impressive there that they would have to beat out. I think that is going to be a great spot for, you know, whoever, whoever ends up taking running back. The, the guys who I'm very interested landing spot wise for fantasy, Jalen Waddle. Um, you know, if Jalen Waddle goes ahead of Devonta Smith in the NFL draft, uh, I think that's going to be a huge signal that's not being accounted for in rookie ADP right now uh and then bateman i mean the the kansas city chiefs pick at 31 they need 
a wide receiver. Their wide receiver depth chart right now, Tyreek Hill, McCole Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, uh, and then a couple practice squad guys. They they need a wide receiver. So whether it be Rondale Moore, whether that be Rashad Bateman, whether it's Elijah Moore, uh, they if they take a wide receiver with their first round pick, that is going to be a guy who leaps up into the first round of rookie drafts. That's going to be a guy who leaps up into the eighth and ninth round of best ball drafts. And you know, I don't think they'll take a wide receiver. They need one, but so I think they'll probably go a little bit later. But if they do take a wide receiver in the first round, that guy is going to be on a rocket ship for fantasy. A hundred percent. And actually, you bring up a good point because I'm thinking about like uh, who would be the not not necessarily the best fit, but I hadn't even really considered uh, the Kansas City Chiefs as being in on a wide receiver until you happen to mention that. But yeah, when you look at their uh, current roster, especially after the uh, the exit of Sammy Watkins. Um, they could really use like some depth at that at that particular position. So I'd be interested to see like what the Chiefs wind up doing. If not on day one, we'll see what they do in the second and third rounds there on uh, on day two. Folks, early bird pricing for 2021 4 for 4 memberships are available. Don't hesitate to sign up early and capitalize on the ever-growing off-season content we bring you day in and day out. Check out Classic, Pro, and DFS embedding memberships up to 25% off right now. See 4for4.com slash plans for details. Let's go ahead and get into it. I mean, Davis, we brought you on in order to talk about, I mean, best ball, trying to see where your strategies lie, how you're formulating uh, your portfolio for the 2021 offseason. So just to kind of get people an idea or an overview of, I guess, all of their options out there. I mean, we've got best ball tens. Underdog has now become one of the popular sites. Uh, FFPC is one of the uh, one of the main sites. If we're talking about a lot of the uh, sharper players are uh, putting up some of their volume over there uh can you talk to us real real quick about where you're uh where you're spending most of your time at in terms of uh, adding uh, or drafting over there or i mean or any other sites that you might be using right now yeah so this is a key thing that people need to remember with best ball especially when you're drafting in april but even in drafting in august and september you are locking your money away for seven months six months five months four months <laughs> and so i i do not play the 12 man self-contained leagues now i've done a couple on ffpc so far this year just to kind of get a sense of adp just to see which way the market is moving i i'm probably in i think probably three or four ffpc best ball drafts um but in general i prefer to play the tournaments where like the tournaments right where we're getting a lot of money to first place 5,000, 10,000, you know, underdog is going to do their massive best ball championship after the draft. So I play on underdog for their tournaments and then drafters fantasy also has tournaments. Um, oh yeah. Uh-huh. They had a, they had a great one last year. I ended up, I came in third in their large tournament last year. I really like their format because they are so I, I, and I like underdogs format as well. I, I play, I play a ton on underdog, but on drafters, they don't do the cutting down that the underdog championship does so, you know after week 13 the field cuts in half then it cuts in half then it cuts by half again and you get to the 24 man final on drafters it's just uh the the 16 week cumulative scoring of your roster and there is no cut down um so those are those are mostly drafters and underdog are the two sites 
where I'm putting in uh, the largest amount of my volume. You know, I haven't played it all on drafters. That makes me want to go play on drafters. I kind of like that. The underdog uh, tournament, I was definitely heavy in on there. Congratulations on your third place finish, man. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I love the uh, I love the best ball street. And I, I think that it, um, you know, people are, are obviously a lot better at ADP than they used to be, you know, four or five years ago or whatever. Yeah. But there are there are still things in terms of roster construction that people miss. Um, and then, you know, they're just, they're always is going to be a little bit of edge and identifying guys later in drafts who can break out. Like, you know, that, that, that kind of edge is, is never going to go away. And I'm glad you bring up roster construction. Uh, I wanted to talk to talk about the added game, like the 17 game regular season. Uh, does that change the way you're constructing your best ball rosters at all? Or is it just, uh, simply another week of fantasy football to enjoy? So maybe you guys can correct me on this if I am wrong, but have they announced anything in terms of adding an extra bye week as a result of adding the extra game? Because I know that was one of the things that had stopped the addition of the extra game in years past was that the NFL Players Association wanted a second bye week added in. Um, I, I've not heard any reporting on this, and, I, and we don't have the schedule yet, um, but I, I if there is a second bye week added in for these teams, that would be... I mean, that would throw a huge wrinkle into into what you need to do for your strategy, especially at, you know, at quarterback and at tight end. The current news is that they will not be adding an extra bye week. Uh, it'll be played over an 18-week span, the 17 game with one bye week. Uh, they're just shrinking the preseason. Yeah, which, okay, that makes sense. So so in that context, I mean, maybe, maybe you plan to build your rosters a little bit more attritionally, which is very hard to do, especially on underdog. It's very hard to do with 18 roster spots. And uh, you know, a lot of the research shows that kind of the best teams for high end finishes have a limited number of spots used on running backs. Um, so, I, you know, it really it really does become even more of a game of just hope your guys get through a whole season healthy. 100 percent. And I think one of the things that I was thinking about uh, originally uh, and just kind of like galaxy braining myself into these uh, this thought process was, um, should you go ahead and try and handcuff your running back? And I was like, no, because you're expecting your particular running back in order to, let's say, if you draft like Ezekiel Elliott, do you need to take Tony Pollard? Or if you're drafting Aaron Jones, do you need to take Aaron, uh, like uh, A.J. Dillon? I mean, stuff like that where, I mean, if you're thinking about over the course of the season, is it is there a chance that the running back that you pick in the first or second round is going to wind up getting spelled towards the back end as their team makes in the, uh, into the playoffs? But in my mind, uh, it's it's difficult in order to one project who that uh, who that backup is going to be because I know even though we think that Tony Pollard is going to take over, we think that AJ Dillon is going to take over. That's that's not always 100% the case. But also, you have to think that throughout the first, let's say. 13 to 14 weeks or a majority of the season that your running back that you draft early is going to be accumulating most of your points anyway. So that trying to draft or take that handcuff later on winds up actually hurting your team. It now it does make sense in order to grab somebody else's handcuff. If you want to draft like a Latavius Murray later, if you want to take a, let's like we were talking about earlier, a Gio Bernard later or something like that, that might make some sense. But I do agree on the uh, with the premise that limiting yourself to a, a smaller number of running backs will wind up helping you overall. But now with the uh, with the 17 week season, it does wind up it, wind, it winds up making you uh, think about your roster a bit more attritionally, like you had mentioned, because we don't know how teams are going to approach the playoffs uh, once we get into weeks 14, 15 and 16, when we know we're going to need most of those points. 
it might be something that makes more sense in the self-contained 12-man leagues where you're just trying to come first, second, or third inside of those. But in the larger guaranteed prize pool tournaments where it's it's really all about coming in, you know, first place, right? Making it to the right. final week of underdog, making it, uh, you know, to the top of, of whatever best ball tournament you're in. You need to be maximizing the potential points from every roster spot. You need to be maximizing the potential for spike weeks that's it's what it's what it's all about and so you're not going to find more negatively correlated assets than two running backs on the same team right tony pollard ezekiel elliott negative correlated you know uh Mm -hmm. christian mccaffrey mike davis last year literally inversely correlated and so i i I just and what you will see is maybe a team will actually win the underdog tournament this upcoming year with Zeke and Pollard. And then, you know, people will go into the next year thinking, Oh, well, I got to I got to handcuff my dude, but it's just, it's from a theoretical top down approach and looking at the expected points from every roster spot, you just can't do it because it, it, it it's just going to cost you so many potential spike weeks. And just to ADP wise, like that, like those guys that we think of as legit handcuffs, they get drafted like legit handcuffs. And so they go higher. So not only are you, uh, handicapping yourself by saying I'm only going to get running back production from one team this week. Uh, you're also saying I'm going to use a, you know, in some cases a mid-round premium draft pick in order to do so. I completely agree with you. Yeah, because if you look at where some of those guys are going, like think about where AJ Dillon is going on FFPC. He's going now as RB32. So especially with the tight end premium format, that's right around the same time where you're getting a guy like Tyler Higby, who in my mind is one of the value tight ends that you can pick like in the in the mid to late rounds. Also going right around the same time as like Will Fuller, Robbie Anderson, Debo Samuel. So the opportunity cost that it would take you in order to acquire that handcuff if you want to, I would rather have any one of those wide receivers and probably and, uh, including Tyler Higby in the uh, tight end premium format over AJ Dillon. So if you go in uh, thinking that if I'm going to draft Aaron Jones, I need to get AJ Dillon later, you're giving up way too much from an opportunity cost perspective in order to in order to satisfy that handcuff requirement. So if anything, I would wait until the later rounds in order to in order to try and acquire a running back that you think might be able to hit later on in the season. Yeah, and there are loads of guys like that. Like just for example, Alexander Madison has been drafted like a premium handcuff running back in the past. And because mm-hmm. he wasn't a premium handcuff last year, RB 47, Daryl Henderson, premium handcuff right behind Cam Akers. We've seen him do well in a starting role before he was playing over Cam Akers last season. Malcolm Brown is in Miami. He's RB 49 now. Um, got someone like someone like Philip Lindsay, um, someone like Rashad Penny, who is theoretically healthy and should be the premium handcuff in Seattle. Uh, Latavius Murray. I mean, is anyone more of a lock and load RB one when the starter ahead of him gets injured than Latavius Murray? And because we are in, we are in the doldrums of the off season right now. And so people are drafting rookies. People are drafting your exact AJ Dillon, right? The shiny new toy. And Latavius Murray is not shiny. I, I literally, I think he's actually 30 years old now, but I, I would just, I would bet, that the first week that Alvin Kamara misses in 2021, Latavius Murray will be ranked as like the consensus RB6 or something, regardless of who the New Orleans Saints are playing. And so there are plenty of ways to take stabs at the running back position that don't require you to spend premium picks on Damian Harris, Ronald Jones, Je- I mean, Jeffrey Wilson Jr. What an absurd ADP this is for Jeffrey Wilson Jr. 
Uh-huh. Right, exactly. And I'd, I'd be remiss or uh, Leone or Levitan might come after me if I don't also point out that Mike Boone is available much later <laughs> in, in drafts as well. So uh, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, those are there are plenty of guys that are available later that don't require you to spend draft capital that would uh, that would force you to take them over a premium wide receiver tight end or even possibly a quarterback, depending on which round that you're talking about. So from uh, the, I mean, from that standpoint, in terms of building your roster, Yes, build it attritionally. If you want to tack on an extra running back, that's absolutely fine. But if you, uh, but if you're going to handcuffs, not required. Look for look to the later rounds in order to find some, uh, in order to find some of that value. Yeah, you are you are 100 correct. I think probably, and this is stuff that Leone has built on, and this is things that uh, you know that we've tried out there in the wild. You know that the quote-unquote optimal construction for underdog which is 18 rounds is two quarterbacks six running backs two tight ends and i if i'm doing the math off the top of my head right that is eight that's eight wide receivers um but the so that's the that's the theoretically optimal but if you look at taking these teams into the wild what you will what you will find is that actually teams that go with four running backs and they draft those running backs early and they just wager Look, I'm taking Aaron Jones, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and Kareem Hunt, and those guys are going to stay healthy. And then maybe I take one guy later, you know, Michael Carter, Naheem Hines, someone like that. And then I load up on potential spike week pass catchers, and I take a third tight end. Then you are you're building. Uh, it's a it's a it's a more fragile team. So the big thing in fantasy for a while was anti fragility. But those hyper-fragile teams, um, which is something that Leone has done a ton of research on, actually have outsized win rates because when those four running backs you take stay healthy, you are not really sacrificing anything at the bottom end because so many of these guys, you know, your Zach Mosses, your Daryl Hendersons, your J.D. McKissicks are going to give you no spike weeks. They're not going to be fantasy viable at all. They'll basically never get a chance to to uh, get enough touches over a given week to provide you good scores you don't really sacrifice anything on the bottom end and because wide receivers are just more variant you are going to get way more potential spike weeks out of those pass catchers uh, i do the same thing when i diversify my builds and my my different strategies i'm kind of the ricky bobby of fantasy leagues i'm always first or last and and it's because of that it's because if i go into a super flex draft i load up on those sure talents at running backs and then if i hit on my two quarterbacks later i usually beat everybody and if i don't or if saquon barkley gets hurt for me then i'm i just completely burn out do you follow any of those specific hyper fragile strategies like zero running back zero receiver or do you try to uh do you kind of depends on the site or depends on the scoring how do you approach those different strategies and how do you diversify so in the FFPC main event and in the other high stakes formats, um, I, I generally will co-own three teams in the main event, uh, generally do one big high stakes team on the NFC and then load up a bunch of these underdog ones. Pretty much in the high stakes leagues, it's zero RB pretty much every draft. Now, maybe if it breaks just right in the first two rounds. So for example, I think this year, if you were able to get Aaron Jones after ADP and Cam Akers, like if you were picking at 10 and you took Aaron Jones and then Cam Akers was sitting there for you at 14 or uh, 15, I I think that would be an example of it being okay to start two running backs or Derrick Henry, Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley, uh, Antonio Gibson, something like that. But in general, what I'm trying to avoid doing is I'm trying to avoid taking running backs like 
picks 24 to 75-ish, like guys like Melvin Gordon, guys like Chris Carson, guys like Josh Jacobs. Th- those are, I mean, this we this is just well-tread material at this point. We all know that those running backs there are are overdrafted historically because of, you know, quote-unquote guaranteed touches. I like the hyper-fragile strategies a lot for underdog. Now, on drafters, it's a little bit different because you get those 20 roster spots. And so if you just say, okay, well, I'm going to take my six running backs and I can still get my 12 pass catchers because I get these two extra picks at the end of the draft, it kind of it kind of helps smooths it. But something I am for sure going to do this year on underdog specifically is embrace more of those hyper fragile drafts where I'm only taking four running backs. And I agree with that because especially with the way that those scoring settings are set up, I mean, it's the um, optimal way in order to approach the position, especially because you know that a lot of teams now are going to be vying for running backs like early on. I mean, I think for the trends, I mean, there's probably at least a six to seven running backs taken within the first round, which can, uh, which cascades into the second round as well as folks continue to uh, collect those running backs as quickly as possible. I mean, but let's talk about some of the guys that we're in or not in on, like coming into the 2021 season, because you mentioned guys like Josh Jacobs, who with everything that's going on with the Raiders, I'm not in on it at this point. But a lot of folks, I mean, he still continues to have that third, uh, that third ish round like ADP. But let's talk about guys that we are in on. I mean, so Davis, with the way that Dallas started off those first five, six weeks of the season, I remember you talking about him a ton. Uh, if not on the take cast, it was on the swole cast or talking with uh, with Nate and Sammy about him on a weekly basis from a DFS perspective. I mean, are you back in on the Dallas offense? Because as of right now, I mean, uh, Dak Prescott is, I think, firmly within that first four to five, uh, like four to five quarterbacks that are taken off the board. And so is that a team that you're leaning in on at this point? Or is it a team that you're still nervous about or you want to see like where he's at in terms of uh, progressing through his injury after last season? Yeah, I I just think that uh, Dallas probably is the best spot to attack in terms of team stacks this year. So Dak is going as the quarterback for pick 50. That's right about where he went last year. Now, CD is more expensive than he was last season, right? You could get CD Lamb in the eighth round last year. You have to take him in the third or fourth round this year. Same for Amari Cooper. However, Michael Gallup all the way down at wide receiver 44. I, I think that there's kind of this fractured memory with Michael Gallup where we remember him being bad with Dak. But then we saw the target volume normalize when uh, Ben DiNucci and uh, Andy Dalton were quarterbacks for Dallas. And I think that target volume probably would have smoothed regardless. So had Dak stayed healthy for 16 games, I think we would have seen the target shares normalize between CeeDee Lamb and between Michael Gallup. Um, So I, I think Gallup looks like a screaming value there. I think Blake Jarwin in the tight end premium FFPC format, he's going as the tight end 25. He looks like a, you know, just a great value. Or if it goes the other way and Dalton Schultz ends up winning that starting job in training camp, he is he is free right now. I would actually in dynasty leagues be sending out very low ball offers for both of those guys, like fourth round rookie picks for Blake Jarwin and Dalton Schultz. Uh, you know, obviously the average return of a fourth round rookie pick is like literally nothing. I, I just expect Dallas to be great. I, I think that they will be the Chiefs of the NFC. I think they will you know, 
lead, I think they'll lead the NFL in passing yardage. I think they will score the most points in the NFL. And, you know, there is a chance they pick at number 10 in the NFL draft. There is a chance that they are on the clock with the opportunities to select Kyle Pitts. I don't think it's likely. I think Kyle Pitts' most likely scenario is that he goes at four to Atlanta. But we've seen a couple moves in the market over the last couple days that suggest that the Bengals are going to take chase. And if the Falcons take a quarterback and the Broncos take a quarterback, then you're looking at like Carolina or Philadelphia being the teams that take him. So I, there's a, it's a, I'll, I'll say there's like a 6% chance that Dallas ends up with Kyle Pitts, but obviously if they end up with Kyle Pitts, we're talking about, I mean, literally like a generational offense. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, and this is even after Andy Dalton wound up wound up taking over for Dak Prescott. Uh, Dallas wound up eleventh uh, in neutral passing rate uh, over over the course of the twenty twenty season. They were twelfth in red zone passing rate. I mean, so this is an offense that we know is going to be uh, have a ton of volume for if not just for the quarterback, but for the receivers. I mean, whether it's Amari, whether it's CD or whether it's Gallup, I mean, we know that this is going to be a pass first offense, and that's the way that that offense has now been set up, like with the way uh, with how they've done under uh, with their new offensive uh, offensive uh, head coordinator and whatnot. So, I mean, I'm excited about Dallas. I mean, but are we not also excited about the rest of the NFC East? I mean, we've got Ryan Fitzpatrick now with Washington. I mean. Kenny Galladay now signing with the Giants. I mean, this is in an offense. I mean, of course, we have to talk about Jalen Hurts, but the NFC East is now one of those teams where, from a best ball perspective, I can't see myself not leaving a draft with any one of uh, an asset from one of those teams because it seems like wherever you go, there is a at least an asset worth taking like from one of those teams. Is that one of your approaches as well? I'm probably a little bit lower than the market on the Giants and the Washington football team. You know, I think Fitzpatrick is fine. I I do think, though, I, I think that Daniel Jones is probably bad. I, I think that he, I mean, maybe he will himself be decent for fantasy because of the rushing upside. Um, and, and, and also, I mean, one thing you have to say is, you know, obviously they're going to play two games against each other in these divisions, and the Eagles and the Cowboys should be putting up a lot of points. The Giants theoretically should be able to put up a lot of points with all of that, all of that they've built into that offense. I just, I don't believe a ton in Jason Garrett. I mean, we saw how much we saw Jason Garrett left and we saw what happened to that offense at the beginning of 2020. I mean, it was, it was like night and day. Um, so I, I, I like that strategy. I mean, Hertz is the one Hertz and Rager right now. So Hertz is going uh, as the QB 968 overall and Rager is going as the wide receiver 48. 142 overall those guys both look like very strong values to me that's a juicy stack right there um so if you do subscribe to and that's i know that's one of the things that a lot of folks been doing some research on like we talked earlier about mike leone over etr and whomever i've done some research into it as well regarding stacking and so like a Jalen Hurts, Jalen Rager stack i mean is very affordable within uh within the best ball streets right now so that's something that I would probably uh, try and subscribe to. I have used that in the past. Uh, but uh, before we close out, I mean, and uh, start talking about a couple of other topics, uh, what's one guy I wanted to get everybody's take on one guy that they just can't leave their drafts without? Uh, Brandon, let's start with you. I mean, who's a guy that you just can't leave your drafts without uh, in terms of best ball? Sure. I do want to quickly say uh, I'm buying Jalen Rager as well. Even if the Eagles draft somebody, I think that's going to take pressure off Rager, which fits into his skill set a little bit if he's not facing man-to-man coverage press 
every single down. So uh, Rager at his value right now, I'm buying whether the Eagles draft somebody or not. I'm with you on that stack. Uh, I'm leaving every best ball, and I like to kind of talk about guys that I draft late or guys I get for free or for low cost. Kirk Cousins is regularly a fringe QB1 week to week. He puts up solid numbers. Uh, we got Gary Kubiak's kid coming over and Colin plays in Minnesota now. So Kirk Cousins has great weapons. He's available very late in most best ball drafts. So as my second quarterback, I'm not leaving any best ball drafts without Kirk Cousins. I kind of dig that. I mean, he's one of those guys that I know that over the past couple of seasons, he's wound up at least if not in the top 12 in terms of QB win rate, he's flirted with that top 12. And he's one of those quarterbacks that winds up getting forgotten. And if I'm not mistaken, this past season was one of the first seasons where he wound up not having a rushing touchdown, at least within the first like 16 weeks or when the best ball season. So he could be one of those guys that we know has sneaky uh, mobility. So I, I kind of like that, especially now that we have Justin Jefferson in the mix, Adam Thielen, uh, Dalvin Cook. I mean, there's plenty of ways that we can see Kirk Cousins wind up being at least a decent quarterback. Uh, Davis, what about you, man? So for me, this always ends up being every year. It just ends up being a wide receiver who disappointed the year before. Uh, and Marquise Brown probably will be the guy for me. You're going to have to spend uh, a ninth, tenth-ish round pick on him, the wide receiver 41. I kind of, my thought is I, I won, want to buy low on Lamar in general. Like I just want to buy any kind of dip that there is out on there on Lamar. Cause I, I believe in him. I think Harbaugh is a great coach. I think that you know, I, I, I absolutely hate when people talk about these things on fantasy podcasts, but I, I do just think there is some value in the fact that there just is up and down organizational synergy to to make Lamar better. Everyone in the building believes in Lamar. It's all about making him better. It's all about making the offense work under what Lamar can do. So I, I and I think that Hollywood Brown is a good stylistic fit for him when they work out some more of the kinks. Like I, I just think I just think Marquise is very good. Um, so I, I I think he looks like a guy that I will leave loads and loads of these drafts with. I agree, and I think he's one of those guys that. I was hoping to see more out of the entire Baltimore offense in 2020, and I think more and more we started to see folks. It's part. It's a recency bias, right? Like if they if they don't wind up hitting the same way that they hit in the year prior. So when we saw 2019 complete breakout for the entire offense, 2020 things take a step back. Nobody wants to put in that same capital, and now even with some of their costs suppressed. Lamar now falling to, I think, somewhere in the QB uh, QB 5, somewhere in, in that range. Marquise Brown is now down. Mark Andrews is down in the TE4-ish range, if I'm not mistaken. So that entire offense is something that is an offense that I would want to buy into. Uh, my guy that I can't seem to not draft when I see him uh, available to me uh, is DJ Chark. Now, in 2019, when he essentially broke out or became a larger part of the fantasy conversation, I mean, he was, I mean, he was operating with like Gardner Minshew, I mean, Nick Foles for like a hot second, but we didn't really see him able to have like some sort of stability at the quarterback position. And also his role seemed to change like in 2020, he was used more on deeper threats with the addition of guys like the Vizca Chenault. 
And so we actually saw his ADOT actually kicked up slightly, uh, about a yard or so, because I believe it was in 2019, his uh, his ADOT was about 12.4, kicked up to just over 13, 13 and a half in 2020. So if you have a guy that's used more on deeper routes and you have quarterback play like, uh, I mean, like Gardner Minshew and like Jake Luton and guys like that, we're not really going to be able to see him be able to excel. I mean, with Trevor Lawrence coming in, not to say that we're expecting a ton from Trevor Lawrence, but I do think that we'll be able to see DJ Chark be able to operate more as their X receiver. In in addition to that, they bring in Marvin Jones, who can be more of that deep threat, allow DJ Chark to work more in the intermediate areas of the field. I think that there's at least a solid chance that DJ Chark could get back to where he was at in 2019. And especially now, I mean, his cost for what we can expect in terms of opportunity is going now as the wide receiver 31 back end of the seventh round around guys like Odell Beckham, Juju Smith-Schuster, Tyler Boyd, Cortland Sutton. I mean, there's, I think there's a fine chance or at least a, a decent case to be made about him being able to outkick that particular draft cost, uh, given the, how hype we are about the Jacksonville Jaguars offense in 2021. All right. Uh, so to close us out, I mean, Brandon, what else we got going on? So I wanted to talk about Top Shot. We're not going to get to talk to talk about it as much as I wanted to because we're running up on time. But I love Top Shot, and I know Davis. I know you love Top Shot, and everyone I know within the fantasy industry, it's a, it's a very popular thing in general. Even people who I know don't really care much for basketball still really like Top Shot. And I wanted to ask you real quick, since you're a fan, uh, why do you think there's so much crossover between the fantasy industry and NBA Top Shot? Well, the first reason is that it was a very good short-term speculative way to make money. And if there's any good, you know, if there is a short-term speculative way to make money, uh, the DFS and the fantasy sports community is going to be right on top of it. I also think <laughs> that the the type of people who play DFS and play fantasy sports are just very comfortable being online. They're very comfortable making transactions online. So it's just a little bit more of a of a natural thing for people who are very online to hold and and collect digital items um so i i think that is a, a pretty natural transition as well like you don't you don't really have to explain the concept of why something digital is valuable to someone who plays fantasy sports and is very used to transacting online um and 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 also i just think that we we love cool stuff online and top shot is just like <laughs> undeniably cool it's very right. cool right yeah <laughs> Uh, I, I enjoy it, so I'm going to keep looking at it. Did you think the NFL, who's talking about, are they going to have a successful transition into this as well? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I think that we have kind of already seen some inklings that there is uh, discussions going on between the NFL Players Association and between Davril Labs to getting, uh, you know, getting some kind of digital collectible for the NFL out. I My, my hope is we just saw the Topps NFT collection come yeah. out. Uh, and they don't look cool. They're, they're, they're pictures and the designs are, I think, just very basic. And I think it's, you know, one quarter of what they could have done. And I actually love baseball. Not a lot of people who are really into football actually like baseball too, but I, I really enjoy baseball. So I was bummed that it wasn't cool. I, I was excited to collect uh, some, some baseball NFTs. So my hope is that if the NFL does it, that they, one, avoid a lot of the scaling troubles that Top Shot and Dapper Labs have had, but more importantly, just that it's cool. Like I, the the moments uh, themselves, the videos of the collectibles, they got to be cool 
because if they're not cool, that will just destroy the market. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And um, since we're out of time, I won't I won't take up more of your time on this. Uh, listeners, make sure you uh, check out the Take Cast if you're interested in more Top Shot and anything else because Davis goes all over the place and talks about tons of stuff on the Take Cast podcast. Check out the Swole Cast for a little more football. Check out davismatic.com. Follow Davis at davismatic. Listen to all his stuff. He's fantastic. Davis, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Is there anything else you'd like to say or plug before we go? Yeah, uh, this was great. Uh, thank you so much to both of you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I had a, I had a great time. Um, yeah, if you want, if you want to inter- engage with my work, you can follow me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. You can listen to the Take Cast, the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, you can read all of my work, see my rankings, and everything over on SportsGrid.com. Awesome, awesome, Chris. Thank you as always. Any final thoughts before we go? No, huge thanks to Davis for for coming out and talking with us today, and uh, we'll talk again soon, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. Awesome. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast as well. You can follow us on Twitter at Two Guys Brandon and at Chris Allen FFWX. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good day.